0: baby
1: Mind the world could be a better place if everybody took a break and we all just get
0: wasted
1: good afternoon you're listening to cannabis corner on wnhhlp 103.5 fm broadcasting live from downtown new haven we are streaming live on TuneIn radio and newhavenindependent.org We're also streaming live video on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash newhavenindependent or go to your Facebook page, look us up and hit see first so you can hear all the great programs that we have here on WNHHLP and Cannabis Corner Radio is also streaming live on procannabismedia.com and Greenhaven Media Facebook page. It is Monday, April the 10th, 2023. I am your host, Joe LaChance. I am joined here by my illustrious co-host, Mr. Lou Vega. Lou, how are you today?
2: I'm doing well, brother. How are you doing? I'm, you know, just enjoying after this good, uh, this good weekend, Easter, Passover, Ramadan, resurrection, whatever anybody calls it these days, zombie Jesus day, who knows? Whatever anybody calls it. But, you know, we're back from that. The weather's looking great. I'm really excited about that itself, Joe. How's everything looking on your neck of the woods?
1: Very, very good down here. Very nice. I'm looking forward. I'm having my brother come visit me this week. So that'll be nice. He's going to stop down and get a little taste of the island.
2: That's absolutely Um, beautiful, Joe. yeah, uh, Yeah. bring him, Show him a little bit of the CBD, THC realm out there. Because remember, weed is worldwide.
1: Oh absolutely and uh, you know my brother does own a CBD store so uh it'll be good for him to come down here and check out the market that we got down here which isn't very large.
2: So, it is large, right? Well cannabis is a, cannabis is a is a part of the system down there, right?
1: Yes, the medical program is very big down here. You know, I've I've said this before on the show, as interesting as it is, Puerto Rico is basically the same size as Connecticut and has the same population as Connecticut, but they have more growers, more dispensaries per patient than Connecticut does. I mean, they their system here is very well run. Um, again, it's all local producers, so there's no MSOs down here. And there's
2: no home grow. So it's a little different.
1: Yeah, there is no home grow. That's the one thing that they did miss. Uh, But they have an interesting take on flour here. Um, You know, you're not supposed to smoke it in public. Uh, They discourage the use of flour because they think just the act of smoking it is unhealthy. So they have reciprocity here. But if you're a patient from another state, you can't buy flour. You can buy everything else but flour, which is.
2: And that's, you know, more as we go through this and talk about the show and talk about different places that guests from all over the country, um, we get to learn what the laws are in different places, what the show's like in different places and everybody's little cannabis corner.
1: Yes. Cannabis corner. Very true. Very, very true. But uh, yeah, we had a. Uh, there's a couple interesting news pieces I wanted to bring up real quick before we brought in our guest. Um, it looks like the Connecticut prosecutors have dropped another fifteen hundred cannabis charges. Um, they're
2: working on it, Joe. They're working on it. But this is this is as it goes. You know, sometimes yeah. they start, they say, "Well, why do we need these laws in place?" Because. People aren't doing things. We need to have these laws in place. We need to put the bills in place for them to push getting people's records expunged, you know?
1: Yeah, they said they reviewed over 4,000 pending drug possession cases. Well, they need to keep doing it and keep doing more and more, Joe. I agree. And they ended up dropping 1,500 of them. So It's a good start. It's a good start, and I guess you're right. They just got to keep doing what they're doing until well, all the people have been, uh, you know.
2: Biggest, yeah, the biggest part of that, Joe, is that they're, they fight back to all of those conversations and say, well, it's too much hard work. Well, you're going to do the hard work now, right. so it's all part of it. It's okay. Let right. them do the hard work, Joe.
1: Yeah, their quote even was, this was no small task. And quite labor intensive. That was their quote.
2: Well, they need anybody who was arrested for cannabis. They need to go through their record and and get that rocked out, Jeff.
1: I agree. I agree. And let them do the hard work. That's what we pay them for. And, uh, you know, they are going to be making a lot more money off legal cannabis. So they might as well use that money to uh, do the good work that they need to do. So that's my thoughts on it. But anyway, so. We do have our guest, she's here already, so I wanted to introduce our guest today. Uh, With us is Uzma Zakir, RPH, and she has been treating medical cannabis patients in Connecticut since 2015 and is a firm believer in the healing benefits of the sacred cannabis plant for physical, mental, and emotional relief. Uzma hosts a, month, a monthly virtual series on a variety of medical cannabis topics to empower patients on their brave choice to use marijuana as their medicine and to foster a compassionate cannabis community. She speaks extensively on in, in Connecticut on patient care and on cannabinoid therapeutics. Uzma is on the board of directors for the Recovery Network of Programs, a nonprofit organization in Bridgeport, Connecticut, that is dedicated to helping individuals recover from substance abuse, homelessness, and mental health disorders. Welcome, Uzma. How are you today?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, well, thank you for joining us on the show. So you have been in the uh, medical marijuana industry for quite some time, since 2015, so that's pretty much since the program uh, was instituted almost.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it was started in 2014 uh, and I joined a year later. Right, so It's been a really remarkable experience. I mean, to see the changes in the program as well as the changes in the science behind how we treat patients and the benefits that we're seeing, like you know, how we practiced both in the beginning and how we practice now. Uh, right. It's pretty remarkable for so much progress to be made so quickly.
1: Well, yeah, I can agree with you. Now, I would imagine uh, RPH is uh, a registered pharmacist. Uh, That's does that? Sign- yeah, registered, yep, registered pharmacist.
0: pharmacist so I'm a traditionally trained pharmacist.
1: So being that as the Connecticut Medical Program requires a pharmacist on staff at all times, um, I did find that in the early days, the pharmacist didn't really know that much about cannabis. In some cases, I was even telling them a little bit of things.
0: I'm sure. Yeah.
1: But as the program progressed, I noticed that, you know, when the last few times I went into a dispensary that the pharmacist was much more knowledgeable. So did you experience that too when you first came in? Like, When you first came in and um, started working in the industry, did you find that you learned more and more and more along the way?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because as we know, this isn't taught in medical schools or pharmacy schools, right? And especially in just eight, seven, eight years ago, it was completely unheard of. So now we're seeing, you know, really great events at UConn and Eastern Connecticut that they're really including cannabis studies, whether it's horticulture or science. Nothing was there was nothing like that. So I started learning, honestly, from people like you, from patients who have been using it for their medicine for years and years. Um, My colleagues, uh, my co-workers who, yeah, maybe they weren't pharmacists, they were pharmacy technicians. They became technicians because they wanted to be involved in the program in Connecticut and they had a wealth of cannabis knowledge um, and years of experience. And what what I like so much about being in the cannabis field is that you have so much to learn from from everybody, from people from so many different backgrounds. Everyone has so much to share. It's such it's it's, it's so personal everyone's journey. You know, with their with cannabis as their medicine. And I I really appreciate that I can learn from so many different um, from people. And also, you know, I learned a lot from podcasts and documentaries and a lot of scientific papers. And then just working with patients, right? So starting them on something, following up with them, seeing how it helps, helping them become more aware of how it helps. Because I think a lot of people, what I found was really interesting that people would say, wait, I'm not sure if it's working. I'm not sure if it's working. Because, you know, with cannabis, you feel very much present in the moment. You know, you're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. You're so, and that sense of wellness and being focused on the present people are so unfamiliar with. And then we know cannabis can make us forget a little bit. So then you don't even realize you're feeling better. So working with patients about their self-awareness and how to notice that, you know, having outcome markers so they know that it is actually working. And then seeing what works for a lot of people and what just doesn't work for anyone. And then keep trying to implement that based on the individual in front of you. I've seen tremendous progress. I mean, when we first started, we would just treat people as needed. Okay. So like say migraines, for example. Uh, migraines. It's like okay, at the onset of a migraine, you know, maybe try a one-to-one vape, try an, an indica vape, and and you know maybe try something here. It was like, and then you let us know how it makes you feel. So this is a great example when we talk about like the evolution and progress of cannabis as medicine. So um that's how we would treat almost everything. Here's a couple of things and and try it out, and this is how you titrate up, and let us know what works, and then that's what we'll stick to. So when you look at something like migraines and it's come out, there's a theory, I'm sure you're familiar, of um, clinical endocannabinoid deficiency, and it was postulated by by Dr. Russo. And so I read about that years ago, and I just thought it was so fascinating because so many people do struggle with migraines. There's no true pharmaceutical treatment for it, right? The pharmaceutical treatments actually cause something called medication overuse headache. So it's going to give you another headache. Um, and people become tolerant to it. So it stops working. So there's really nothing out there to treat migraines. Same thing with IBS, arable bowel, and same thing with fibromyalgia. So many people who have been struggling with fibromyalgia, which is really just like a decreased pain threshold. So, so everything hurts. Um, right. Yeah, right. And there's no real treatments for it. And so what we learned about with migraines from from studies is that they did a test on women with chronic migraines and women without chronic migraines and who don't use any medication and they found significantly lower levels of our natural endocannabinoid anandamide in the women with migraine, suggesting that it's a lower functioning endocannabinoid system or low endocannabinoid tone that's contributing to why these patients are having migraines, right? And the increased sensitivity to to pain um, in that area of your of your brain. And so then they also, in the study suggested consistent and consecutive dosing. And so it's basically taking it from that as-needed mentality to taking something daily, like a regular medicated regimen or vitamin or supplement. And then we saw that patients were reducing the number of migraines they were getting per week or per, per month by taking lower levels of maybe THC every night and a, and a standard dose of CBD a day, right? So then the benefit is you're staying ahead of your anxiety symptoms. You're also getting better sleep. You're supplementing your endocannabinoid system. And we're taking people who had three to five migraines a week to maybe two a month that they can handle. And that's been like a remarkable evolution on how we're, we're helping people. So I think it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. no, that's absolutely a great evolution, a great way to describe the evolution of it. Um, because a lot of times before it was very hit or miss, you know. And um, people would come. Oh, try this, try that, and then uh, you know it, you'd, you'd have to kind of figure out what worked. Because I would say back in 2014, right, it was it was almost different products too back then. Okay. It, was, it was an entirely different line of products, and uh, you know I think they've evolved so much over the years that you can almost pinpoint like, oh, okay, this person has migraines. This is what we should start them with, you know, instead of just guessing, oh, oh this person has IBS. Now studies have shown that, you know, this works with IBS. Whereas we didn't have that information a few
0: years. Yeah, ago. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the amount of um, research that's going on is really help um, facilitating everything that we can do now to help people.
1: Right. And that's one of the benefits that came with um, making cannabis not only legal, but legal for medical purposes. For years and years, we couldn't do any research on the plant. So we really didn't know what the actual, how deep the benefits actually went. And this is what always amazes me about, you know, the research that goes on is they're constantly finding new cannabinoids new uses isolating specific cannabinoids for specific conditions you know uh and that's something that was unheard of years ago
0: yeah no it is it's it's really cool sorry lou were you going to say something
2: i was literally going to say the exact same thing it's really cool that as things uh become legal and Schools start taking up the mantle of actually doing the studies and, you know, we're getting schools like UConn, like Yale getting involved that they'll start doing all of this, you know, Eastern and you spoke at some awesome events recently. You want to give any of those the shout out? You know those schools that are taking up those
0: yeah yeah eastern connecticut had a cannabis conference in october it was a great turnout and a lot of great um scientists and professors sharing their research right from east eastern connecticut and uconn and from abroad um and then uconn put on their first cannabis symposium at the beginning of march Um, i was fortunate enough to speak at the industry panel and that was also a really great turnout and Joe, what you were saying about the research, I feel like the research with CBD and THC is still very limited, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of research on our endogenous cannabinoids and how it works with the physiology of the body. And that's what I tend to focus on because of the lack of, of research with CBD and THC. And then I just kind of use my my own experience, my own intuition with figuring out dosing and how best to, to help the person in front of. So I'm looking forward to more research with CBD and THC. But as I said at UConn, actually, was that dosing is, um, I feel like there's so much power that comes from the plant because it has what we call a very wide therapeutic index, which means you can take a little or you can take a lot and still get a lot of benefit from it without risk. And that is why it can work for so many different people, right? So someone needs a higher dose, someone else needs a lower dose that's available for both of them. And when we get into studies, if they're limited with everybody gets the same dose, then we're not going to really see the full impact uh, or the full benefit in a study that we see in a general population of people at a dispensary who are medicating um, appropriately for themselves and their tolerance. You see the difference? Yeah. So that's a concern that I have um, and why I feel like almost when they just ask people, how'd you do, you know, if they medicate on their own, the way you do at the dispensary, right? Um, and then see what their results are, rather than maybe a control study where everybody gets the same dose or the same delivery system. I feel like that's not accurate to how we all really medicate. Yeah, because everybody's
1: system is different. And they are going to react differently to different, you know, cannabinoids, different strains, different. Yeah,
2: you know, that's one thing that we hear more and more, like you said, Dr. Russo brought this out. And it's a big point of it's the cannab- we have an endocannabinoid system that at one point was being nourished by plants by yeah. higher, you know, nature, realistically, yeah. you know, back when it wasn't completely outlawed and hemp was actually part of our staple food source as a grain, you know what I mean? So um, now that our body is not getting those things, we're seeing all the medical effects from it as well, you know, I, I am big supporter of the idea of a low endocannabinoid system.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't even realize they have it because as far as I know, there's no way to real test for it. You can't do a blood test and say, oh, you have low cannabinoids, right?
0: Yeah. Not at this time. I think that I did see something that there's there. They are working something, working something out to try to test that. Um, But yeah, it's really, it's just based on symptoms. Right.
1: Right. Right. And then they find that the cannabis alleviates those symptoms because now you're nourishing the endocannabinoid system right and now i've also heard that there is also endocannabinoid uh system where you kind of over over uh
0: yeah so that's you, yeah so you can overstimulate it in a couple of ways where you are you're only gonna get a certain amount of receptors to click on to those cannabinoids, right? So at the time of any trauma or um, even an infection, like a bacterial infection, a physical trauma, even an emotional trauma will upset your endocannabinoid system or it it should cause it to kick into gear. So that's when your receptors pop up and then you start releasing your natural cannabinoids so it can take care of that area that's been affected and bring it back to what we call homeostasis or balance. So if you think about anxiety, right, you get into fight or flight, you're triggered, you have a bunch of cannabinoid receptors pop up in those areas of your brain, and then you're, you're, you naturally release those endocannabinoids. So if you're not naturally releasing those endocannabinoids, you're gonna have a more of a, a stressful response, right? More anxiety, more likelihood of developing PTSD if it's a traumatic event. Um, and then when you supplement with cannabis, if you just have so much THC, there's only so many receptors that it that it can click onto. You you do so one part of that is that you do have a maximum number, and then the other part is that it's also just a tolerance issue over time. So we, when we look at something like a 92% THC partridge, right? That's very far. from when you know Lou was talking about nature, how the plant exists in nature so i'm I'm also concerned where were you using that over a long period of time, you could perhaps be lowering your endocannabinoid tone that may have been okay to begin with so
1: yeah i I don't think a lot of people understand that when you are doing a cartridge you, they have isolated just yeah. the t h c molecules, so you're not getting the other cannabinoids, which actually might help to alleviate whatever your condition is. Because let's face it, a cartridge is just pure THC. And sometimes you need some CBD, you know, sometimes in order to, to like you said, with the migraines, a little bit of CBD also helps. So you're not getting any CBD in that cartridge. Right. Whereas if you maybe in uh, smoked it, or used a a flower vape, you might get the full spec, you do get the full spectrum. You do get the full
0: spectrum, absolutely. Yeah, so these these products that are predominantly THC without what I call some of those other cannabinoids that aren't necessarily psychoactive but have so many protective qualities um, and also work with your body's cannabinoid receptors. I think it's really important to use products that are as close to full plant as possible. Or make sure you're doing what we call targeted cannabinoid therapy. So, say you do like to hit that 92% vape during the day, maybe do 30 to 50 milligrams of CBD every morning with your vitamins. You know, have that as your anchor, as a grounding effect, and have those protective qualities. So, I like to recommend that that type of regimen as well.
1: Right, a combination of both, whereas yeah. you are actually using CBD, let's say in a capsule. Mm-hmm. Almost as a vitamin, like you right. would take with your multivitamin in the morning. Oh, let me take my daily dose of CBD. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and those that form that way is a little bit more uh, manageable for dosing versus just smoking a flower, right?
0: Yeah, I think that it can also be more reliable in the market. Whereas if you know you're always looking for a one to one vape or a five to one five part CBD one part THC vape, you're not going to always get that. But in the program, it's more, you know, some of those capsules and tablets are very reliable and consistent. And right. then you can vape based on strain and terpene profile. on top.
1: Right. Because there's the difference, obviously, is if you vape or smoke, the effects are instantaneous, basically. Whereas if you are ingesting it, you sort of kind of have to wait for the effects to travel through your body, you know, and be, uh, be ingested that right. way.
0: Yeah, metabolized and absorbed.
1: That's right. uh, But then again, I would have to say if somebody had digestive disorders, let's say, it would be better to take the CBD and put the cannabinoids right into the area where it's needed. So if you have a digestive disorder, wouldn't it be better to actually ingest your medicine? Because that way it's getting dispersed quicker Um, in that area.
0: So, um, so there's a couple of ways to look at it. So with CBD, I think that it can be used. um, I'm a little confused by your question, Joe. So first, if someone has a digestive disorder, the first thing that came to my mind was that they might have absorption issues. I do like to recommend a sublingual route over like a consumable route, because it is hard to digest and metabolize and absorb cannabis. A lot of people might think they have a huge edible tolerance, but it's actually that they're not um, metabolizing most of oh. what they're ingesting. And so a lot of patients, if you know, they're new, um, and we'll start titrating them up, um, and say they're, you know, they're swallowing capsules as their preferred delivery system. Say so you start them five milligrams every night for sleep, and then they're up to 20 milligrams. They've never used cannabis before. And they're saying, telling me they don't feel anything. I'm like, okay, stop right there. Let's switch to a sublingual route. Let's go back down to 10 milligrams. And then they can uh, hold it in your mouth for about 90 seconds, it skips all of that metabolism process with the liver and gets absorbed quicker and more fully. Um, so that's, oh, so that's okay. pretty interesting to see. So, um, and then you can save a lot of money, right? You save a lot of money, so then you can use it more consistently and feel good about it. Um, and then with digestive issues, I think if you meant something like an IBS or a Crohn's or mm-hmm. um, an ulcerative colitis, and um, do you mean like getting it in the area, like using a suppository? Is that, that what you're That could referring be too, to? yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's yeah. an excellent choice. So I work with patients all the time, teaching them how to use either rectal or vaginal suppositories for all sorts of different conditions. Um, I would say mostly if you're looking for a higher dose to treat the physiology of the disease um, and you don't have such a high tolerance, then that's a really great, a great way to get the medication into your body.
1: Now are those available at dispensaries now? For no, not yet. Still, no. Huh? That's
0: yeah. That's why I have to <coughs> teach people how to make them. But they're remarkably easy, and I think that there is something um, really intuitive and uh, compassionate when you make your own medicine. So it's nice to be to have your own hand in that at times.
1: Yeah, that's very very true, and uh, that's true. And I have used them before, and they are very beneficial. Mm-hmm. But again, you do have to make them yourself. But you can get the molds right on Amazon.
0: Yeah, and you get the molds on Amazon. Coconut oil. The yeah. yeah, and you get the oils. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Put them in the freezer. It's easy
0: because back in the day we used to tell patients to get the big gulp straws from 7 Eleven, mix the oil and the cannabis oil, fill it up and then cut them. That was before freeze you know, it Amazon. And, cut them, and freeze right. it. Yeah, freeze it and then cut them. So I'm grateful for those, uh, the molds.
1: Right. And they also sell capsules, too. So you can also make your own capsules That's right. if, if you so choose. So, yeah. And you said now I noticed uh when we read your bio, you said you have a monthly series where you do educate patients and you do talk to people. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what okay. do you teach and, and how does somebody, you know, get involved in sure, that? Sure.
0: Sure. So um, they started as support groups that we would do in person um, for patients with different um, like disease states. So we've done like multiple sclerosis, ulcerative um, colitis and Crohn's disease and PTSD, and then COVID hit, right? And then COVID hit and it was, we did a couple, um, so I did a couple on like Facebook Live and they went really well. And then um, it kind of just progressed to to a monthly virtual um, seminar. So. Last month I did set your standards high, how to choose the best products. And that was really reviewing what we just mentioned, delivery systems, time to onset, are you looking at milligrams versus versus percentages in your product, um, how to read a label in Connecticut, and also terpenes, which are really important with flowers or vapes. Because um, as you know, in Connecticut, the naming system is very unique yes. and it really is terribly confusing. So being able to share a little bit of a background with that and then talking about the entourage effect um, to help patients navigate our complicated menu. Um, prior to that, I did, this year I did Prospering with PTSD um, and Leave Your Pain Behind. And for this month, it'll be on April 25th. I'm doing Step Into Spring, Cannabis for Depression and Inflammation which I'm really excited about. So um, I can talk, I, can, I try to keep them in an hour. I mean, I can go for an hour and a half, two hours on some of these topics, but depression and inflammation are so closely and intricately related. And so um, cannabinoids are so perfect to treat both, right? So we know that cannabinoids are very, very potent anti-inflammatories. Um, THC is actually 80 times more potent of an anti-inflammatory than aspirin and two times more potent of an anti-inflammatory than hydrocortisone. So anyone who's done a round of steroids for for various reasons are probably familiar with their side effects, which are very uncomfortable. Right. So understanding how much we can achieve when it comes to inflammation um, with cannabinoids and then also for, for depression, right? It helps regulate our neurotransmitters, our mood and our motion. And if you use it, the right dose can help with motivation for sure. And then also with sleep. So I'm going to be talking about that Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Uzma Zakir, and I post, um, the link for, for the monthly Cana Convo on there, uh, a couple of days beforehand. So this month will be April 20th.
1: Oh, nice. Very, very good. That sounds like a great topic. And, and you get, you get a lot of participation.
0: We do. And what I really love about it most is that, you know, I've met probably thousands of people over the years, right, who are looking for another way to relieve um, their symptoms, right, and so the patients have come in, and they, some of them, they literally say, this is my last hope, this is my last hope, you know, for years, being with the Western medical um, system, which I say, you know, patients in this, in the United States with chronic illness have developed like a PTSD like syndrome from Mm -hmm. their chronic Mm -hmm. illness.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And
0: patients will relay this to me all the time. I actually did an episode chronic illness and PTSD because of they've been judged so much for, for basically being refractory. So, you know, everything has a success rate, which means it also has a failure rate that includes uh, pharmaceutical treatments, right? So not one pill, Prozac is not gonna cure or help everybody's depression. But with marketing and the way um, some of these medications are prescribed, when it doesn't work for you, you feel like there's something wrong with you. Right. that's the worst part. That I would say is, is the number one thing that hurts my heart the most that I've seen in a commonality with so many different people from all walks of life and all ages. Is that they're looking for, for more help and they feel like something is wrong with them. In reality, there isn't. It's just that, you know, I think antidepressants, the last study that I saw, it works, it's beneficial for one out of eight people. So that's yeah. seven people yeah. out of eight that it's not helping. That it's working not well.
1: helping, right? And, and, and then probably harming.
0: It, yeah. Yeah. I actually did do an episode on like um, antidepressant discontinuation syndrome. Or like you know, weaning off of medications and and how problematic actually coming off a lot of these antidepressants are, right, and right. people think it's their their symptoms or their their disease when it's actually a withdrawal. Um, right. yeah. yeah. so we work with patients a lot to help them come off those medications. But we were talking about something else. <laughs> I can't remember what. Now we got off, we digressed. That's
2: yeah, good. but this you know is a what? good. Even with the digression, the topic is super this important. It's really good. Yeah,
1: because it's something <laughs> I can relate to. Support... Oh, yeah. It's but it's
0: the support groups.
1: Yes. Well, I this was is... talking
0: about the support groups.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah.
0: So, really about helping patients who are refractory and they feel that they've been dismissed or something is wrong with them and making sure that they have a safe place. To learn about their disease state or their conditions, why the therapies may or may not have worked in the past is really important to empower them on their healing journey. Because right. you really can't start on any type of a journey if you think there's just something innately wrong with you. There really isn't. So get, and then having that community feeling where, hey, you're not alone. We're all in, in this together. Look, look, there's 150 people on this call um, and, and we're not all that different. So that's that, I think, is really moving um, for, for a lot of people who, who attend. No, and then just the science stuff. Yeah, the science stuff is fun, too. I do get yeah, a little that's science. that's very important. That.
2: I, so I, I'll even take this one step further because I've heard the term a thousand times, and I refer to it all the time. The idea that the, that the community that's built around this, you know what I mean? It's such a huge thing. And I, I popped into a couple of your calls, and you really do have 150 people on there. So you can figure 100 to 150 people learning about a new topic. They feel that they're in their community, in their space. They feel free to have conversation, share stories. You know, it's very interactive. And to say, wow, it is really, how many people are are signed up as medical patients currently? Do you kind of have a roundabout?
0: In the state of Connecticut?
2: Yeah. About 50,000, isn't it?
0: I think it's just under 50,000. I think it's like yeah, 40,000. That's a
2: 40, lot of people, which is a beautiful thing. And that's why when, you know, we we try to include everybody from so many different communities, because as the market matures here in the state, it's not just like the small activism community or the community of whatever. But there's so many that have developed over the last 10 years that now there's a place for almost everybody to fit in and feel welcome in the grand scale, in the worldwide cannabis community. You know what I mean? The cannabis counterculture, they might say. We like uh, great music, chill vibes, and the Mary Jane. So that, that's, that's the community I'm in. How do you feel about that, Joe?
1: I agree. I agree. I think it's, it's, it's broader than that. It's a community of people who really, like you say, are fed up. A lot of them, at least the medical patients, are fed up with, the regular medical community and like you say this is their last straw and um i think again people so it
2: should be their first choice and it's it, sad that it's, that's
1: it's where i want you. that's yeah. where it should be you know, going and to
2: and that's the ptsd and the shame that people feel like oh my god this is will i have to turn to cannabis no realistically that should have been the first thing you tried yeah yeah you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And, the and we do
0: see people like that now too, which is great. So we do see people that are like, oh my gosh, this just happened. My doctor wanted me to put up put me on all these medications, but I thought I would try this first. So I am seeing that's, that now. And that's, that's you know, good. And that's that's success for all of us, right? We've all been working hard over the past, you know, years or decades to to try to get people to be aware that they can do that.
1: Well, no, honestly, that was the case with me. You know, uh, the doctor wanted to do all these kind of things to me, you know, because I have digestive issues. And I said, no, you know what? I'm just going to try and heal it with cannabis. And you know what? I've made quite a lot of progress by doing it on, you know, doing it with cannabis and on my own. But I wanted to get back to something you brought up that was very interesting about weaning people off of the uh medical drugs and yeah. try and using cannabis as almost as the antidepressant. I used to work in a medical cannabis uh we used to give the recommendations. So I worked in the doctor's office. I was kind of like the front line to you Got guys. Great. And I would see so many patients who would come in And, you know, I would befriend them and talk to them. This is pre-pandemic before it became telemedicine when they used to actually come in the office and have a consultation, you know, and talk. And their goal was to get off the prescriptions and use cannabis instead. And I can say that, and this includes even a member of my own family, that I have seen people who have been able to get off the prescriptions and use cannabis as their main means of medicating. And to me, that's what it's all about you know what i mean that yeah. that was like yeah. that used to like warm my heart so much when they hey i stopped taking xanax yeah and i'm just doing cannabis now i'm like wow and,
0: and the best you know? part is like the light comes back to their eyes you know mm-hmm. i mean i've worked with patients their first day ptsd and they're on the, the cocktail right valium or clonopin or a handful of um antipsychotics and and antidepressants and They'll come in with their hoodies and their heads down and speaking so quietly. And this you don't you don't even want to take up space, you know, like they don't want to, you you just you're in that place where you're not feeling right and you don't know what to do. Right. And thank right. God, you know, you you turn to cannabis. And then what I do is first very carefully get the patient's symptoms under control as much as possible, and then slowly start oh. decreasing some of these other drugs. Um, If I need to work with the physician, I'll work with the physician. And doing it safely, and not only using the cannabis to help with the withdrawal of these pharmaceuticals, but using it to actually treat their symptoms so they're feeling better than they've ever felt. And then it could be a couple of weeks, some people it's a couple of months and you keep working with them, keep at it because the result will come. You see them coming in smiling their energy is changing right they're giving out a different aura and that light is back in their eyes and that's where like the true joy of all of it comes you know and they've got all that out of their system and they're feeling good about themselves again so i also like to talk about using cannabis to understand yourself better your own healing capabilities learn to love yourself again and and you know because it is i it is a consciousness expander right it is a sacred Mm -hmm. plant there's so much that if you do it with intention or if you're just even made aware that this is possible, that's a part of the journey that you can you you can include on your journey that you're setting out on.
1: Right. Right. And I think there's one component that people don't even really understand is that their nutrition has a lot to do with it as well. You know what I mean? When you, you know, you talk about the absorbency and all that, uh, sometimes people's nutrition can be their own worst, their own worst enemy, you know, as well.
0: Yeah, and, absolutely. Absolutely. And really, um, I feel like any any proper healthcare provider needs to ask their patient what they're eating and more importantly, what they don't eat um, and and work that out as well. Because when we're talking about inflammation, you know, there's so many inflammatory causing foods, um, right. the most common being dairy. So I, you know, if you're looking to decrease your inflammation, especially for any autoimmune disorders, I would say, you know, look into cutting any type of dairy out of your diet. Um, So those types of practices, I agree. Nutrition is very important. It's a whole whole health
2: uh, approach. And I think that people who have decided to use cannabis as either their medicine or their adult use or their recreation or whatever anybody wants to call it. The moment you make the choice that you want to supplement your endocannabinoid system. You should start making the choice of, hey, there are other systems in my body that probably need that same attention. Mm-hmm. So while we're doing this, you know, you get you start going for an extra walk. If you can't smoke inside your house or take Medicaid inside your house, now you gotta go for a walk. Now you're walking an extra 15 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're getting yourself set up into a way that it, it's a whole whole health journey versus just trying to fight one thing at a time and I think a lot of times the pharmaceutical side of it tries to do that so you'll get one medicine for this one medicine for that and then somewhere down the line they'll find out that it works for something else and now you have Botox for headaches and something else and you know what I mean and it's no longer just a cosmetic thing or what's the uh the ulcerative colitis thing that used to be uh Humera. that was something once and then it morphed into a, an ulcerative colitis drug and you know what I mean so you start seeing all of these things and with cannabis you just start taking the idea that it's not about one thing it's about the whole, the whole, yeah, about the the whole
0: body thing. yeah the endocannabinoid system is present in almost every physiological function in the human body and that's right. why it works for so many different disease states but that's why also people question its validity right when they say how can one one product or one medicine be good for PTSD and ALS and ulcerative colitis. And I think that we didn't really know the answer before, but now we know it's because of the endocannabinoid system.
1: Right. And the the function of the endocannabinoid system is to regulate homeostasis Mm -hmm. which is one of the main function, you know, your body needs to remain. And it's, it's almost like controls all the other systems.
0: That's exactly right. In
1: in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. It's like
0: constantly scanning to see if it needs to to kind of kick in and take care of something.
2: And then it depends what you're taking in, you know, taking in one type of cannabis is not the same as taking in a different type of cannabis. Maybe you, you're, somebody's like, Oh no, it doesn't work for my headache. Well, you ain't smoking headache weed. You're smoking yes. stomach weed. Right. On, let's get this stuff right. You need shire weed. You don't need weed from the mountains. All right. We learned this in the Lord of the Rings. Let's go, guys.
1: Yeah. No, it's true. We have two different, a lot of people done on understand. There's the CB1 receptors and mm-hmm. the CB2 receptors. Now, correct me if I'm a little bit off on this, but the CB1 receptors are mainly within the body and the C B2 are mainly in
0: the brain, which, which... So vice versa. So C B2 oh, is mostly okay. in the central nervous system, but they but it is also um on your tissues and your organs. And the C B two is predominantly on your immune cells, but it but they do, but they're both kind of everywhere.
1: Right. Right. But yeah, the CB2 is in the where,
2: central
0: nervous system.
2: And then this is where terpenes and cannabinoids and those mixes and ratios kind of come into play now because something that has a higher CBD versus a CBG versus a THCV, they do different things and they bind to different receptors as well, right?
0: Exactly. So yeah, so CBD, they're not even completely clear. It seems to have so many different effects and it interacts with so many different receptors. So I mean, years ago, we thought that it just blocked the enzyme that comes in gobbles up your natural endocannabinoid, it turns out it does so much more than that. So it's, and your natural cannabinoids also actually interact with many different types of receptors, not just the CB1 and CB2, but it seems that THC only interacts with CB1 or CB2 receptors. Oh, does
1: that makes okay. sense? So CBD yeah.
0: is multiple receptors, your natural cannabinoids are multiple receptors, and THC is just CB1 or CB2.
1: Okay. Look at this,
2: Joe. We went from not we
0: just we we was just saying to give us our plan. Now we are getting
2: full science lessons on the cannabis corner. Yeah. We just wait till it happens. You know the rest of the month. We'll make sure. And as we get down to our final ten minutes, I'm very excited about this. But we'll do the quick roundup. We'll finish up with one or two more questions. And you know, Joe, this is an exciting thing.
1: No, this is <laughs> I feel very educated today.
2: Yeah, this is a good one, Udma, Thank you so much for today thank because you. You know, yeah, you yeah, yeah, a lot I of that. it.
1: I do. You I know. feel very educated now. And...
2: and this is this is that shows us that this plant the market is maturing. The 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 industry is maturing. The science basis is maturing. We've we've literally watched this for the last 10 years go from out of the darkness and now into the light, professional careers, uh, university standards. We're looking at the research base, we're looking at commerce. There's so much going on that this is where the future of cannabis is going at least the future of the cannabis corner here we're super excited to have people that are now sharing more knowledge than some of the basic things and this is this is that first step and we really appreciate you taking your time today yeah. and and giving this information out you know what i mean and this was all absolutely beautiful information and yeah uh, yeah joe you have any more yeah i
1: do have a couple more questions i wanted to get into the uh, medical program itself okay so Mm -hmm. you've been in it since the beginning and first thing Mm -hmm. did you ever think that when you were working in a regular pharmacy back in 2012 2013 that you would be here now 10 years later you know in the cannabis industry um
0: no, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I always had. Um, I think when when I was in high school, kind of tr- trying to decide about college and what I was going to do. I've always had a natural affinity to natural medicine and spiritual healing, so that was definitely there. Um, and then I ended up going to Saint John's University School of Pharmacy, and I definitely, you know, got kind of got swayed into the to the regular western type of um, medicine and practice and you know we also we had some pretty major failures you know the opioid epidemic Uh, and a couple of other things and and really turned me away from from what I was seeing you know so Mm -hmm. my first day at the dispensary people are coming in smiling and happy and you think about the last time maybe you picked up a prescription from like a regular retail national drug store, and you're online for 45 minutes, and people are upset, and it, it, it was it's it was insurance, the office, all insurance, all that
1: insurance, insurance, oh. yeah, calling <laughs> insurance companies, and, and
0: then yeah, that was. So I didn't, I didn't, re, I didn't see it, but I did feel like when it did happen, it was a part of my calling.
1: Right, and so you just. That was it. That's great. That's great. Now, from this since you started and the medical program now, what do you see as the differences and how do you think the medical program has changed? How can it improve? You know, what needs to happen here now? Because we know that the institution of the adult use program has definitely had some effect on the medical program. So what would you say would be the best? How has it changed and how can we improve it? Um, so that so, it remains yeah, so viable. I
0: think, yeah. I think for me, because I'm I'm treating patients and making recommendations and have an understanding of what cannabinoids and delivery systems I'm looking for, it's product availability and hoping that the growers continue to be creative and the new, the new facilities that are coming out that they'll continue to continue to be creative and have maybe um, appropriated resources to true to, to medical products that aren't just like high THC flowers or, or mm-hmm. different strains or high yielding strains. Um, so I think that for a while, a couple of years ago, we did see a really nice improvement from the growers with products. Um, like, you know, there was CBDA out for a little while. There was CBG drops out for a while. Um, um, we worked with AGL to get the THCA oral solution out. We still use it regularly. So working with the growers and trying to maintain um, the medicinal products that we use regularly, um, because I ha- have seen a decline now. So I feel like we peaked a couple of years ago where they were trying to get it out there. Maybe there wasn't enough education or, or we weren't so it, it could be something as simple as like the dropper bottle it was hard for patients to squeeze
1: right <laughs>
0: that was what right. well, that was the issue with the cbg drops is that none of the patients with arthritis and other health conditions could actually squeeze that particular package like so it there's so many different factors that go into a successful product for a right. patient and now i now it seems like we're going into a dip with a use that the growers might not be making some of the more medicinal products that we've been relying on for the past couple of years. So so that makes me um, a little frustrated. And then the prices are challenging for patients.
1: They have raised, correct? They have yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Well, you are speaking on a panel at NECAN about the future of the medical marijuana program. So people can come hear you and see you at the NECAN convention on May 20th, because to me, this is a very important topic. Because one of the things that the legislator said was that we want to make sure the medical program you know, remains a priority and remains high quality. And like you said, it, it hasn't necessarily gone that way. Now, maybe that's a function of just be it being new and they're just getting, you know, getting situated. Well, I'm
2: hearing, Joe, what I'm hearing is that the new producers, and hopefully we can fill those shoes too as well, is to create great products at a cost effective price that medicinal patients would feel confident purchasing it from the adult use market. Um, right. We currently don't need a prescription for aspirin. But if you go overseas, they'd completely limit how many aspirins you can have. They, they're they like, wow, crazy Americans get to have a 500-count bottle of aspirin? Don't you know that can kill you?
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That so, is true.
2: It, it's, it's what our government at the time decides to uh, regulate. But I definitely see that there's going to be a need. And hopefully adult use providers who aren't going to be able to make products for the medical market, are able to at least create a product that's cost effective. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, that's
1: what
0: I'm hoping to see.
1: Yeah, no, most definitely. All right. So we're down to about two minutes, Uzma. So why don't we uh let people know how they can get in touch with you and uh where we can uh you know how they can get involved in your in your monthly uh discussions. Oh yeah
0: Okay. Yeah. So I think, um, for me, Instagram, I'm not so good at Facebook. I don't know. They keep locking me out and I just don't get any luck with it, but I'm on Instagram. My first and last name, U Z M A Z A K I R, Um, and I'll be posting about it there.
1: Okay. And that'll be happening April 25th. What time does it start?
2: I think Uzma froze. (laughs)
1: All right. So, uh, Lou, you're there, right? You're muted. Yep,
2: I believe I believe those are in the evening, she said. Um, but you can check out, I guess, when she pops back on. But you, she mentioned her Instagram thing. thing. There you go. It's all good. We were chiming in. We we're hoping to, to get you back. But please share the rest of the information.
1: Time yeah, break. And then tell How us a little bit about the, Re- the other thing, the Recovery Network of Programs real quick. Yep.
0: Okay, so I'm hearing both at the same time. So Recovery Network of Programs is a great organization in Bridgeport where they help people recover from substance abuse. Um, They have some um, homes. So they have inpatient and outpatient treatment centers and they do a lot of great events in the community. Um, What they started actually in in a neighboring town and it's gonna be spreading around the state is having social workers go out with police officers on different types of calls to de-escalate situations where somebody may, um, it may not, it's not really a criminal incident. It could be a mental health incident. And so really supporting people in that way.
1: Great, great, great. And they can find them, uh, they have a, a, a website or?
0: They have a great website. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's called let me, recovery-programs.org.
1: Okay, and that's great. So anybody who might need some help, uh, it's not only substance abuse, it's homelessness and uh, you know, people who just need some some help right now. So that's a great yeah. thing. And uh Uzma Uzma Zakir on Instagram, right? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank I, you. This was, I, was
0: a lot fun. To- I had a good time talking to both of you.
1: No, it was a great, great show. Like I said, me and Lou both felt educated. I definitely
0: did. Dosing. So we'll
2: give One Hit Wonder a quick shout out because Steve popped in there and we love Steve. (laughs) Um, Yeah, dosing. Just remember to start doing dosing. And if you can find products to do dosing, like the One Hit Wonder, um, give it a shout out.
1: Yes, yes. It's a one hit system.
2: We like supporting local businesses and helping people where they can with a 30-second drop. off. good job, Steve. We love you.
1: <laughs> All right. And, and Uzma, we will see you April 25th on your on your meeting and also at NECAN on uh, April 20th and 21st. Uh, we're 20th we're looking 21st
0: May 20th and 21st. Yeah, I'm May 20th. I
1: should know, right? Yeah, May, 20th, Joe, come on, brother. <laughs> May 20th and 21st. Harry says we got to say bye now. Shout out to Steve at One Hit Wanda. If you want to do single dosing, check them out. They will be at NECAN as well. You can follow me at Joe the Weed Guy uh, or at Green Haven Media. And we want to thank you all. Thank you, Uzma. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We will see you all next week.
0: All right. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Thank you,
1: Zuma. Bye bye. Peace out, everyone.
2: I was going to clean my room until I got high. I was going to get up and find the broom, but
0: then I got high. My room is still messed up. And I know why, why man? Yeah, hey, cause I got high, because I got high, because I got high. La da 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 da. I was gonna go to class before I got high. Come on, y'all. Check it out. Uh, I could have cheated and I could have passed, but I got high. Uh uh. La da I'm taking it next semester and I know why. Why man? Yeah, hey, cause I got high, because I got high because I got high.